Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Baker and this is Mama Stories. I created Mama Stories after seeing how impactful sharing stories can be in overcoming the challenges of motherhood. I am where I am today because of the stories of so many amazing strong mamas and I want to share that with every mom I can. So follow along to laugh, cry, and be empowered. Well, today on the podcast, we have Bree. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, I have the opportunity of being a wife, first of all, to Brian. And um, I am also a mama, hence being here with Mama Stories, to Kedron and Cohen. They are twins who are going to be five in September. And I'm not ready for that. (laughs) But um, I'm also a writer, a stylist, an avid book reader, lover of coffee, and I run when I can. Yeah, well, that's a lot. Some days. You have a jogging <laughs> stroller? Nope. No. No. Do you take the kids on the run with no. you? No. Oh, it's Mm-mm. a solo run. It's a solo run. It's okay. a clear your head kind of run. Okay. I chase after them on their bikes enough that yeah. they get a lot of my energy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, especially twins. Yes. That yeah. are almost five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they turn five in September. Yes. Craziness. Yeah, they might be starting preschool, so we'll, fingers crossed. Oh, wow. That's a big transition. So nervous for them, yeah, and for me, yeah. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine leaving Grayson for like ten minutes. So, sending him off to someone else—that makes me a little overwhelmed too. I think they're ready. I think it'll be a nice entry into the world in their size. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. So, tell us about the journey to get to your beautiful twin boys. I would love to. Um, I was not one of those people who was like baby crazy. I did not love being around other people's kids. I wasn't like, sign me up to babysit. I I just wasn't baby crazy. I, I, I mean, kids were great. They were fun. I was one once, but, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I like being a kid. Um, but I knew once I got married that I did want a family. It was kind of um, the expectation. I think you just assume you get married, kind of work for a little bit, and then you have kids. That's kind of what you do. It's mm-hmm. like the order and the trajectory. So um, we got married in 2002. 2004, we moved to Northern Ireland and um, sold everything, packed everything else away that we didn't sell, quit our jobs, got rid of our cars, got on an airplane, and it was a huge adventure, and we were so excited, and I was really glad we didn't have kids at that point. Yeah. Um, You did that just for fun? Well, yes and no. (laughs) Uh, We really felt like we were supposed to make the move. Um, There were a few things that happened along the way that kind of pointed us that direction, Mm -hmm. and... um, Neither my husband and I want to live with regret, and we just knew that if this was one of those um, itches that if we didn't scratch it, we probably would regret it. So yeah, um, we did, and we moved over in 2004 and got connected really quickly with like a tiny local church plant. They invited us back as interns for a year, and we stayed, um, and it ended up being 12 years in the end wow, that we, we were, were there. there for 12 years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, um, and along the way, we knew that we wanted to start trying for a family. So I think, um, I think a lot of women, we have an idea in our head of like, mm. this is my timeline. <laughs> yeah. Tick, tick, tick. And we're going to tick the boxes. We're going to do this. So I wanted to be pregnant kind of, I think it was by the end of my 26th year. Um, so we started trying and started trying. And after about a year of trying, we both kind of thought, well, this doesn't seem to be happening, um, as quickly as we thought. So, um, we went to see a specialist in Belfast 
And she very quickly told us that um, we would not get pregnant on our own and that we would need IVF. And her bedside manner wasn't great. She wasn't very warm. Mm. This was the first news that we were hearing of um, the reality that we might need some help. Uh, and it felt really shocking and it felt really rude, <laughs> if yeah. I'm honest. Uh, and I'm also a very determined person. So after she finished her conversation and we walked out of the office, I promptly cried. And then inside I said, I'm going to show you. We are mm. not going to need to do IVF. We are not going to need your help. I was so angry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a lot to, you mentioned the like timeline thing. And when you said that it sits home with me mm -hmm. because I remember saying, okay, I want to be married by this age yeah. and then I want to be pregnant by this age. Yep. And when those ages came and, and went, obviously because yeah. of just life, yeah, those were really hard things to fathom, to be like, oh man, I'm not there yet. Like when will I be there? Yeah. So now to be told you're in like another hurdle that is unknown and scary and obviously not delivered well. Yeah. I just, that's got to be overwhelming. And it was, and I'm a highly sensitive person and it really like raised all these emotions and all these feelings and it just wasn't what I was expecting. I think it's that, I don't know how you say it. It's like a total redirection of what path you thought you were on. Yeah. It felt like somebody like roughly picked me up and like threw me onto like a rocky dirt path. And mm -hmm. I had been on this like smooth concrete path before. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know where this path leads. I don't know what this path looks like. I don't even know how to walk on this path. So yeah. it was a real abrupt um, awakening to what would eventually be our future. Um, so we left that uh, meeting and we decided to try a whole bunch of things. I started looking into herbal supplements, tried to um, address it through eating, through exercise, through removing all sugar, caffeine, alcohol, um, trying to map my fertility naturally, doing, you know, thermometer tests and basal tests and mucus tests. I'm like, mm. sorry, that might be too much information for some Never people. Never too much. <laughs> I'm Let like, it all I'm out. an overshare. Please. So, um, yeah, and it just ended up becoming a really long road. And um, we have, you know, we're back and forth trips to the States. And after about, I think it was like four years of trying, we finally decided let's just kind of put it on the back burner. We're not going to do IVF. We're just going to give it some time. And then in 2010, um, like fast forward quite a few years, <laughs> Um, we ended up going to meet with our doctor. And you're in, still in Ireland at this point? Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. We had seen a, a fertility specialist in Idaho where I'm from. And they just said, look, if, if you can get it on the national health system and you can get it for free, try there first. You can always come back to us. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. We went back to Northern Ireland. We got ourselves on the waiting list. Um, little did we know that our doctor at the time, our general practitioner, that she had never taken us off the list. So we actually were at the top. Oh, wow. Um, which felt like a miracle. Um, and we were really excited. And we ended up getting in for our first round of treatment in January 2010. Um, and let me just say that uh, being becoming an advocate for yourself is really big. And I've learned a lot along the way of things that I need to ask for and questions I need to ask that I would not have asked before. Yeah. Um, so... We didn't know at the time that we could have asked for drugs and could have asked for um, things to make uh, some of the treatment procedures a little bit easier. So for um, my egg with egg retrieval 
and for the first round of um, transplant or implant, as they call it, um, I had no drugs. So I was fully awake, felt every and oh like every gosh. egg being removed from my ovaries. Oh, it's wow. kind of a weird pain that you can't really explain. Yeah, it's just really a strange sensation. That's just because it's not protocol. For the, like if you did it in the U.S., would it have been just like protocol? Most that, likely because okay. most of the fertility, all the fertility clinics that I'm aware of are private here and people are paying for it. Whereas okay. in, on the National Health Service, um, everybody gets a base level of treatment and fertility treatment is actually covered. Oh, wow. For everyone. Um, so it's not something that if you have the money, you can afford it, which is kind of nice. Um, but it also meant that they kind of withdraw certain base levels unless you really push for it okay. and I didn't know that I didn't know that I could have maybe been put under for that procedure and mm. like kind of been out and not aware of every little thing yeah. so um but yeah so we went through the treatments and we were awake and um <laughs> my husband then when it came time to create the embryos we had another real shock because we didn't know at that time that there was a male infertility issue we just thought it was me so he had given his sample that morning and they immediately brought us in afterwards and just said, look, there are no viable sperm in the sample that you gave us. We didn't know anything at that point that we even had that as an issue. We just thought it was all my body. So wow. it was like another being thrown off that path and like thrown on a different one that felt even farther away from ever having the family that we were dreaming of. So what do you do in that moment? Because the first doctor obviously just focused on you. Yeah. Is what happened. And yeah. then now you're finding out that there's another hiccup. Mm -hmm. so, so what do you do? <laughs> well, we didn't have a lot of choice because the eggs were fresh and they needed to be um, inseminated, basically. We had to take a next step past IVF and do a treatment called ICSI, intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And they actually take the sperm and inject it into the egg to create the embryo because the sperm weren't strong enough to fertilize the eggs on their own. So in a traditional sense, they would just mix them in the same dish yeah. and, and then yep. this one they actually yeah okay they give it that next step and they're like here meet each other yeah <laughs> basically <laughs> here's your first date it's um, like that movie um oh my gosh I'm gonna totally butcher it what is that look who's talking yep you know at the oh, beginning yeah. when the oh yeah oh, <laughs> I saw that movie when I was probably a <laughs> little too young, young. <laughs> and but I feel like none of us really knew what those little fun things were at the beginning talking no. swimming we were you're like, right oh it looks like a tadpole <laughs> right but then as I've gotten older, I took, that's my imagine. Like when people talk about yeah. IVF, pregnancy, yeah. it's like, I literally picture that yeah. movie. Yeah. And like the faster and stronger swimmers get to the egg and fertilize it. Whereas with ICSI, they actually need the help um, and they actually need to inject it. So at that point, that's when they're like, oh, we actually need to do ICSI, not just IVF. So they were able to do that. They were because that, that same day they were like, so you have two choices. Either you can stop everything now and we'll just freeze the eggs um, if you need them in the future, or we can take a biopsy of your husband's testes. So that's what we chose to do. Okay. But let me tell you, that was traumatic for him. Yeah. So um, we, yeah, we knew we needed to do that and they created the embryos. And um, a few weeks later, once we knew how many had fertilized, we came back and they did the transfer um, of two embryos. And again, no drugs, no nothing. And they had not mapped out my uterus very well. And they were ramming the tube into my uterus because they didn't know it was tipped. And oh I just gosh. have this clear memory of like trying to crawl off the bed and the nurse saying, um, can you please keep your bum on the table? And I was going, I'm trying. 
So it was just really painful and kind of traumatic, I think, after the fact. Um, Is this why you held off on IVF? Like, were you aware that it was this traumatic process? Because you tried a lot of natural steps first. I think there were so many reasons. It's so invasive. Um, It can be costly. Um, It takes any romance out of the the natural way of having a child. Sure. Um, it feels like playing God and we have a very strong faith and we just weren't sure if we were ready to take that step of really thinking through all of those ethical issues and moral issues. So there was a number of reasons why, um, and we really thought we could heal our bodies naturally. We didn't understand necessarily that parts of our bodies were actually just broken mm-hmm. um, and that it would be like breaking your arm and deciding not to have it put in a cast. Um, Mm. is kind of how we looked at it eventually. We were like, we actually, like, these parts are broken. We found out my husband's, like, vast difference on one side hadn't ever fully developed, and that was why the sperm kept coming out, like, not great quality or no viable sperm. And you would never know. Mm -mm, We never would have known. So, yeah. So with that treatment, Mm -hmm. was that when the boys were... No. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So um, those two embryos were put in. I went into hyperstimulation, had to be hospitalized over there for four, four or five days because my ovaries swelled from like the size of like a little, like a quarter to like the size of a grapefruit. So why did that happen? Just the- um, when you have, I have PCOS, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So when you have PCOS, when you go through, hy- like when you go through stimulating the ovaries, because your ovaries don't naturally produce that many eggs, um, your body sometimes goes into overdrive with the hormones and keeps producing. Mm. Um, so they became swollen with the production. And then I just had to be hospitalized for a while to make sure that they would go down. Because um, it can actually be fatal. I didn't know that until afterwards. Like people have actually died from hyperstimulation. Wow. Um, mine wasn't that severe of a case, but there was a lady next to me in the hospital that she had been in there for like a couple weeks. And her ovaries just kept filling up with fluid, filling up with fluid. So... And is it just like a weight or they actually had to do a procedure to... Some people have to have procedures where they remove the fluid. Mine was just a weight, thank goodness, and it just went down eventually. But it felt really cruel at the time because I looked about five months pregnant (laughs) and it was the first like glimpse I had ever seen of myself with like any type of pregnant body. Mm. And it was a real like mind game, seeing yourself that way, knowing that nothing was happening potentially. So so we waited the time frame, took the test and it was negative. So, um, that threw us for a loop and (laughs) what do you do in that? I, I think about, um, our journey with Grayson Mm -hmm. and we, you know, had the same, same thing where we were like, oh, we're going to start trying. And then we were so fortunate. It happened the first time that we tried. Yeah. And so in my experience, all I know is seeing a test that was positive and I don't, I've never had to see a test that was negative. Yeah. So what is that next step? Like, how do you move forward, especially to something that's so traumatic on your body? You know, it's going to take another round of that. Yeah, I think it was, um, pregnancy tests were just, I refer to it, which I'm like, this is, a, <laughs> I'll mention the book now, <laughs> but I refer to pregnancy tests as doomsday sticks because mm. it was that literally it felt like they carried doom because <laughs> every test I had taken was negative. Yeah. Every pregnancy test was negative over the course. And it did eventually take us nine years. So you imagine how many pregnancy tests you would take in a nine year period. Um, I was terrified of taking them. I didn't want to take them because every time I took them, it was like, I mean, 
even as I was writing about taking a test, I could feel my whole body tensing up and I could like relive that anticipation and that um, horror of seeing the negative every time. Yeah. And so, you're talking about your book that yeah. you wrote. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you wrote a book about this nine year journey and did you write it after you had the boys? Yeah. And it was, well, it's funny because after our first round, um, I was devastated, absolutely devastated. We just, we thought naively, we thought it was going to be easy and it was going to work mm-hmm. and it wasn't and it didn't. And, um, I had, <laughs> it's so funny when I think back to it because good friends of mine, I was turning 30 and they threw me a surprise, like a big, like 30th birthday party. Brian was out of town skiing and I was waiting to find out if we were pregnant or not at that same weekend. And I found out that we weren't pregnant and went to the party. Didn't tell anybody because <laughs> I, I knew my husband wasn't home yet. And I was like, I'm not falling apart without him here. So yeah. I didn't tell anyone. All my friends were so sweet. And they were like, I just have a good feeling. It's going to be happening this time. Oh, and no. all the while, my stomach is like cramping with period cramps. And it was almost mm. like I detached. And like I set that part of myself aside because I was like, I can't deal with that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I want to really appreciate this birthday and have fun. So I did. And once he got home from his his ski trip, I just collapsed and fell apart. Mm. Cried for a good solid couple days. And then we were, we'd already made the plans to go to London because we were in Northern Ireland. So it was just a short flight away. He had booked tickets to see the Phantom of the Opera, my favorite musical Mm. for my 30th birthday. And I was like, okay, right. When we go to London, that's the line in the sand. I'm going to stop crying. And that's what I did. Mm. <laughs> but across from the theater, we had pizza before and we were talking and I just said, you know, I think we're going to need to share our story in a book form at some point because we will have a family sometime, mm. some way, <laughs> some shape, somehow. And it was that point on that trip after our first failed round that I, that I really determined that someday I would write it in a book. So yeah. fast forward to the summer, we tried again with our remaining embryos. It felt um, even more positive than the first time because they mapped my uterus. Two of the embryos had survived the thaw and it just had a different energy about it. It just felt like my body had settled down from the hyperstimulation. So it it all just felt better and healthier and more positive. So I think we both went into this round even more hopeful, (laughs) crazily enough. Um, And after the two-week wait, I... uh, I'd always ask God to speak to me in a dream when we would be pregnant. And that morning that I knew we were taking the test, I woke up from a dream that we were pregnant, mm-hmm. went into the bathroom, really excited, and took the test, and it was negative. And just had no, I like, no concept. Just couldn't even, I mean, I just collapsed again. I was like, I don't understand this. <laughs> so yeah. we packed up our bags, and we headed to the north coast of Ireland, which is always kind of like our retreat spot. We have good friends who have homes up there and they would share those with us. And we drank a lot of Irish coffee. I ate a lot of licorice, all sorts. I watched a lot of movies, read a lot of books because every time I would stop distracting myself, I would just sob and sob and sob. Yeah. And how many, uh, what year was that? So that how was many still years? 2010. Okay. So this yeah. is your second treatment. Yeah, that was the second. We didn't have to do a full treatment that time because we had the embryos frozen. Okay. So that was great. Um, But after that, we just decided, you know what? We have a lot of other dreams. Let's stop looking at what we don't have and let's focus on what we do have. And so I 
started training and I ran my first marathon. I learned how to play guitar so I could help with worship. I opened a little coffee shop with our church because I'd always wanted to open a coffee shop and it became like a real community coffee shop. And my husband threw himself into um, his cross community youth work between Catholics and Protestants. And that just really like exploded and developed really well. Um, He helped develop like a youth band with our church and it was just a really sweet, positive time. And um, I think in the back of my mind, I also just thought, we just need space and time and it'll happen. (laughs) Well, and you need to like relax your, um, your body. Oh, yeah. Like I remember I had a friend, uh, a coworker, I shouldn't even say a friend and um, him and his wife were trying to get pregnant. And I don't know, I don't know their story. They didn't really share a lot, but I knew that there was a long stretch in between the like, we're trying to get pregnant to when they actually announced that they were pregnant. Yeah. And it was this one car ride we were talking and he was kind of opening up. And I remember my advice was like, man, you should give your guys like a break. Like that just sounds really stressful. And this is pre parent. Like I didn't know anything, what it was like to even go into that journey or to have a kid. And because why would you until you do? You just don't. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't need to until you do. <laughs> I mean, and even like your journey, right? Yeah. Like I just have no clue yeah. what that's like. And yeah. I've had friends go through this same thing. And hearing these stories, it's like, wow, I just, I didn't even know that there's all these other things that can come up. Like yeah. the uh, ovary swelling and, yeah. you know, just the pain and all like that kind of stuff is just overwhelming. I just can't even imagine the fight you had to create this family yep. is it was quite the fight. It's remarkable. <laughs> I can see why you wrote a book. Yeah. What's your book called? Um, it's called the heart wants what the heart wants. Okay. Um, it's a raw glimpse into the journey of infertility. So it's very raw. It's very personal, but I wanted it to be that way. Cause it is very raw and it's very personal for everybody that walks that journey. And you, I think one of the like predominant factors of infertility is you feel isolated and you feel alone and there's such a mixture of emotions some people feel really embarrassed because they're not able to conceive because that's what normal people do you should just be able to get pregnant so there's like shame involved and Mm. for some people they just get really angry and they can't even stand to look at a pregnant person which I experienced that too so there's all sorts of things but I I wrote it because first of all it was super helpful to write through it and I cried so many tears as I like relived all these different moments. Um, But then I also hoped that somebody else out there who's sitting there struggling, is alone, isn't telling anybody, might somehow, some way find this book and it might end up in their hands and they might read it and go, I'm not insane. Like other people want to like slap a pregnant person just because they're pregnant and I'm not Mm. pregnant. And you're like, yeah, that's like a real thing. Yeah. And um, I don't want to go to that person's baby shower because that feels so injuring to me and my friend doesn't get it. So I'm not the only one who doesn't want to do those things. Just helping them understand that like all these things, there's, there's so many emotions and so many feelings you go through when you're walking in fertility and the toll it can take on your marriage too. Um, Like I said, it takes the romance out of it. I mean, we refer to the place where you would go to give the sperm samples. We call it the dirty room. Mm. I mean, because the things that are in there are just gross. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) We're like, that's really what you think is going to turn a person on and help them go give that sample. Yeah. Okay, interesting. But it's, 
it's well, and the, I'm sure the idea of like, that happens a lot in this room and yeah, yeah. all of those things <laughs> and the fact that there's someone standing outside the door. Yeah. And it's like labeled, not a bathroom, but like male woman, you know, like it has the little characters for like a bathroom, but it doesn't say bathroom. And you know, everybody outside is walking by. And they know what it is. They know and, what it is. And, yeah. and just that, like, I don't know if you grow up in like the Christian con- context and um, you're just told don't masturbate. <laughs> And now you're being told to masturbate yeah. for a reason and in a public place. And where, you know, it's just sure. so and I'm many. I'm sure there's like pornographic stuff yep. that you don't agree with or uh, that yep. there's you like, were told. Or in videos, there's porn magazines yes. and it's all disgusting. And you're like, hey, this is a- really, it messes with your head. Oh, I'm sure. So. I'm sure. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Poor Brian. Poor Brian. He's more a man than most men. Yes. <laughs> so. That's, that's really hard. We had, um some good friends that went through that. And every time, um, that he would have to go, it would always be kind of like a joking thing at dinner, you oh, know, yeah. there'd be, but I, every time they would share it, I would think in my mind, like, I can't imagine that that's actually like, it's funny over yeah. conversation, but it's actually probably really trying yeah. inside to be like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And having what you said earlier, that back in your back of your mind saying like, I'm broken, Yeah, you know, there's yeah. something wrong with me yeah. and that's why this is happening well and you think too like you want to make your spouse happy as yeah. much as you can in every way possible and like to know that both of us couldn't do that yeah neither one of us could satisfy that for each other because of both of what our bodies were doing that was really hard because you want to give and love and serve your spouse as best as you can and in one of the ways that you feel like God has told you to and that you want to and is the most natural thing for so many people. And it's like, it's just not happening. Yeah. Um, and it's out of your control, yeah. a lot of it. So yeah, but. So how many treatments did you go through to then ultimately have your boys? Well, fast forward then to 2013 and we came back to the States. We had been in Northern Ireland for pretty much the 10 years. And you decade. took a break that whole time. No uh, more IVF. Yep. Treatments. After 2010, we took a break. We were just like, okay, we're we're tapping out. We're we're giving it from July, kind of August 2010. We just took a about a four year break. So okay, um, we came back to the states to visit family and just spend. We thought it was going to be about three or four months, and um, didn't think IVF or like XC was on the radar. Um, I arrived, and well, we both arrived, and. He went to Alaska and I went to Idaho because he's from Alaska. Went to visit family for a few weeks and then met up with me in Idaho. Kind of within the first couple of weeks, I called him and I said, I think we need to try. Mm. So when I got up to Alaska, um, we sat on his mom's porch on October 4th, 2013 <laughs> mm. and decided to look into it. And from that point on, it just snowballed. And by December, we did our next full round of treatment. Um, they had harvested 17 or what, I think it was like. 19 eggs and then 17 um fertilized and out of like the 17 13 of them were strong enough to actually be viable wow (laughs) and at this point you're probably feeling like you see the light at the end of the tunnel or are you still feeling like this isn't gonna work it was really strange I think those four years taught us a lot about ourselves and it gave us a lot of time to reflect on the previous um experience with our treatment and both of us just had a really crazy feeling of peace. We both just, I think we had survived it and we knew we could survive it again. So we knew that we were pretty um, solid at that point. Yeah. And it felt 
we hadn't put all of our eggs in that one basket. We were like, well, this is our last ditch attempt at this. And if this doesn't work, well, we're going to look at adoption. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to look at fostering to adopt. And so we kind of had mapped out like, my husband was actually to the point where he, he wasn't really excited about doing the treatment again. Yeah. And he had said like, nope, I, if I have to do another sample, we're not doing it. So he gave a, his sample and they were like, um, your sample's great. So you don't have to, then we get to the clinic in Idaho <laughs> and they were like, oh, actually you do need another procedure. So he had to have another biopsy and had to go under this time. And, um, but it was great. Got really solid quality or sperm. There you go. <laughs> so I'm like, thank you, honey, for that second surgery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and we were shocked to have 13 embryos. Um, and going in, they put in two and we were hopeful that both would take, really hopeful. Um, all the while knowing that we still had 11. <laughs> so we were like, okay. So what is that process? So like those are, so you have 13 fertile eggs. 13 embryos that qualified to be good enough quality to okay. use in treatment because some of the embryos they wouldn't as they were developing they wouldn't reach a certain stage and cellular development and they wouldn't probably be viable they would end up becoming like a natural miscarriage like our bodies a lot of women do naturally miscarriage and don't realize it um, oh, early okay. on because things don't multiply the right way okay um so it so those 13 were strong they were like these are great embryos if every person's like treatment could be like, and with these kind of embryos, we would be so excited. Yeah. So we felt really fortunate. <laughs> yeah. So, so they put two in you and that's like their number or you pick the number? Nope, or? They don't suggest multiples, um, just because it's harder on the body. It's harder on the pregnancy. It's harder on the babies. Um, and there's still, there's still a chance that they could split once they're in. So, but because of our history and my age at that stage, I was 33 and we had already had two failed transfers um with two embryos each so they were like you can choose one or two we don't suggest normally choosing two but because of all of these other factors you can choose two and we will we'll support that and we'll do that so that's what we did and on valentine's day of 2014 we found out that both embryos had taken oh, and it was i have goosebumps crazy. right now it's it was amazing. so amazing it felt like the biggest gesture of love <laughs> yeah so you took a test we, well, I didn't take any P tests. Okay. I actually, you were done. I was done. I just yeah. said, no, let's go get the bloods. Yeah. <laughs> so we went yeah. in for the bloods um, and they had you come in on day eight and day 10. Um, well, initially when we actually found out we were pregnant, um, they have you come in on day eight. And when we were coming back in on day 10, they, there was somebody sitting next to me. And she said, you must be pregnant. I was like, don't say that. And she's like, they don't have you come back for day 10 if your numbers are too low. And I was like, okay. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Just like a stranger. Another person in the waiting room who had been through it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sure that has to be like awesome. And also like awful. <laughs> can you not like, yeah. you don't even know what this journey yeah. has been like for me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they take you back and they say, they you're told it. Well, they take the bloods and then they say, we'll call you by the end of the day. You're like, Right. That's awesome. So we get to wait this whole day. Yeah. But within like an hour, they had called us and we stepped out of the little coffee shop in Boise, Idaho and put it on speakerphone. And she just said, you're going to be a mommy and a daddy. And <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Ooh, it was cue the waterworks. I know it was really Ugh. it was one of those moments that you'll never, ever, ever forget. Um, it's like imprinted so deep and ingrained so deep. 
Like yeah. even if I get Alzheimer's someday, I'm pretty sure I'm going to remember that moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I hope you do. Yeah, me too. Um, so we just, we couldn't believe it and we were overjoyed and shocked and, um, yeah, we kept it to ourselves for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> Cause then, there's the waiting period, right? Yeah. To make sure. Well, and it was kind of fun cause we, we, well, I think we kept it to ourselves for a whole 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So um, Brian's mom was in Alaska, so we called her first, and then we called his brothers who were in Alaska, um, and then we were meeting my family for dinner that night. Mm. Sorry, excuse me. That's um, okay. And so we didn't want to tell anybody there, so we just kind of let them think that we hadn't got the phone call yet and that we would find out and be able to tell everybody at dinner. Mm. So... I was already starting to feel really tired and really sick, um, nauseous. And oh, so wow. I went back and took a nap and Brian had to like divert all the attention and like kind of distract everybody from asking all the questions. And then we like wrote on my stomach, like baby Chad coming like October 4th or whatever, 2014. And it was really sweet because they all just couldn't believe it. They were like, you've been lying to us all day. You knew. (laughs) So it was pretty powerful because it was my parents and one of my brothers um, and some of my nieces and nephews. It was just really sweet. Mm. My sister-in-law. It was just a very special moment. So, um, yeah. And then the boys came. So now you're pregnant. When did you find out there was two babies? Yep, two. That was Valentine's Day. Okay, sorry. So you found we out we that found day. out January 25th that we were pregnant. And okay. Then two weeks later, then they do another test to see if they can find the heartbeats, which again was kind of scary going in. Sure. So found out two heartbeats were very strong on Valentine's Day, and then we flew um, to Washington and then flew back to Northern Ireland via Iceland because oh, you we went w- back. Yeah, we went back. Is that where the boys were born? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, so you went through that whole journey over there. Yeah. And again, not what I planned or expected because at 16 weeks I had to have my appendix out. So I had to go under like a two, two and a half hour surgery, like completely under and have them remove my appendix. Um, because you were just in so much pain or what? You, if you're a pen, if you have an appendicitis, it's like, it will be deadly if it bursts. And they were like, well, our choices basically we have to save you. We're not even worried about the babies right now. Cause if we don't take this out of you, you're not going to survive. And then your babies won't survive. So <laughs> I was like, it's when I say these things, oh I'm like, gosh. it was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so like five o'clock I had gone in, I'd been really sick. Thought it was just like, everything's worse when you're pregnant, right? Yeah. Everything. So mm-hmm. didn't get better. Didn't get better. Finally went in. They're like, Oh yeah, your appendix need to come out at five o'clock that after or that evening signed the letter that said like they we wouldn't hold their hospital responsible if mm-hmm. either me or the babies didn't survive <laughs> took me in brought me out and then I was on bed rest for like eight weeks after that healing wow. and growing which yeah. was strange yeah yeah but the boys were fine the they boys didn't. were fine and I again had crazy peace I was just like they're not ours they're a gift yeah. they were given to us they're not really, I can't control this. Yeah. So went into it and then they were born um, like five weeks early. They were born at 35 weeks. Again, wow. we scheduled a section. We could have done natural, but wanted to do a section because it was the most guaranteed after all of our history. Yeah. You know, we just thought, well, let's just go the most secure. Yeah. Like safe route. Yeah. And they well, that, 
that journey, I mean, that fight. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine wanting to take one more risk, right? One more, like, this could happen or this could happen. Then you had to have your appendix out. I mean, I'm with you 100%. I feel like that would be the same decision I would make. I mean, I don't know. It just so much of it, like, it just wasn't what you planned. It wasn't part of your plan. It wasn't part of your timeline. It wasn't part of the path that you had chosen. Um, I mean, I went through a period of depression. I was so angry. I was, I mean, I was disconnected from my friends. I was very, very angry at God. I really didn't enjoy being part of my church community, which was a huge part of our lives there. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a struggle to connect with my friends who were starting to have kids and even, you know, my best friend, her having to tell me that she was pregnant, a couple of them, like my two best friends over here, them having to deliver the news to us that we were, they were pregnant was just so hard and family members getting pregnant and Mm. it wasn't very fun. (laughs) So, but all of that was worth getting to where we are. So, yeah. I, I've had, I mentioned earlier that I had a friend who, um, Mm -hmm. has, and I, Mm -hmm. I believe still is going through this whole process. As you know, I think it's not something you talk about after a certain point in time when you've, you know, heard no, heard no, heard no every, every so often. Um, but I remember having to tell her that I was pregnant and I took her to a coffee shop and I was so nervous the whole time. Yeah like could almost cry. I was nervous because yeah. I was excited yeah. and then I was nervous. And then, um, and I remember when I told her she wasn't very excited Yeah, and I was pretty bummed Yep, because I knew what that, I didn't know. I could imagine how hard it was for her yeah. to hear it. Um, and then I didn't know she had just found out yeah. that she wasn't, that something didn't work and, um, feels pretty crummy. So it's, yeah. it's hard because I'm sure on her too. She's like, well, crap, I want to be excited. Well, that's, it robs you of so many things that you, yeah. you don't realize it's robbing you of, but it robs you of like intimacy with your friends. It robs you of joy. It robs your friends mm. of excitement of their own journeys because we had so many friends who were similar where they're like, we're so excited, but we feel awful because if we could, we would choose to have you be pregnant instead of us and other yeah. friends saying, we're going to wait to try to get pregnant until you guys get pregnant. We are like, oh, no, no. Like, you can't yeah. do that. Like, you just have to live your life. Yeah. And we love that you love us that much. Yeah. But, yeah, it robs you of so many things. And watching grandparents, you know, wanting to be grandparents again. And mm. aunties and uncles watching them with the other nieces and nephews and just going, awesome. That's great for you guys. Yeah. So, but what I haven't probably alluded to is the fact that we're still going through the infertility journey. Um, that this last November and December, we went, I went back to Idaho with the boys and Brian stayed here in Washington and worked and we tried again for a third baby. Um, Mm -hmm. and we did get pregnant. They call it a chemical pregnancy, but we were pregnant for the first couple weeks and the body, it was just not strong enough and it didn't survive. So it was our first miscarriage after everything. Like I'd felt we had escaped at least that through the whole journey. We hadn't actually experienced just recently. Yeah. That was just this January. Wow. So that was really crappy. I was like, I know how I felt after a two week window. I can't imagine how awful this must be for other people who miscarry further along and then go to like full term and stillbirths. And I mean, yeah. the whole spectrum is huge. 
Um, and last week we actually just sent off our application to adopt out the remaining nine embryos that we have to an embryo adoption agency. Okay. So what is, so moms who can't have an egg retrieval? Families who are struggling, a lot of them infertile couples, um, sign up to adopt embryos instead of going the typical route of adopting a child who's already been born. They look to actually be able to carry the embryo and have it turn into a viable pregnancy um, and then give birth to that child themselves. But all the while that DNA is still our DNA. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So basically they will be carrying our children. Wow. (laughs) That will become their children. Wow. So was that a big decision for you guys or was it pretty simple to be like, yes, we want people to have this experience? Put yourself in the shoes. How easy would it be? I just have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I can't. <laughs> okay. I it's, could imagine. Yeah. I like, I'm just curious because like for me, I, I, it's been very emotional and like up and down. I've cried so many tears. I've lost so many nights sleep. And for my husband, it was much easier. He's much more like, of course, that's what we're going to do. Done. Yeah. Well, it's also, I don't want to discredit them, but I, I think a, a mother's journey is just so, so unique different. because it's like your body yeah. is doing something so different. Like I remember when I became pregnant Yeah. and then after having Grayson and I went through some postpartum depression, Yep. I thought back to that journey. Like I got pregnant and my whole world changed. Yeah. You know, like I had to focus on what I was eating. I had to be careful. I was nervous of working out. I was yep. every feeling, every yes. thing was an alarm. Um, and everybody else just kind of kept living their life. Yeah. And so when I ultimately had Grayson and then postpartum depression kicked in, I went through those same type of emotions. Like, why is my world so different? And everybody else's world is exactly the same. But I, I think the reason why that is, is because emotionally and physically and mentally, something is truly happening with us. Yes. And so I think it's easier for Brian probably to yeah. say like, yeah, no, you know, no question. I want people to have this opportunity and for you to say like, wait a second, like yeah. that's a, that's a part of me. I mean, you witnessed and experienced growing babies in your belly. Yeah. And so I'm sure giving somebody that gift is great, but also that's your gift. Yeah. And it's, I mean, with the first round of treatment in Northern Ireland, we didn't have any embryos left over. So we were like, great. Don't have to make that decision. Yeah. So then when we got to the point where we had all these embryos left, we were, you know, you just kind of, the boys were born again. I can't even really explain (laughs) the joy and disbelief and reality shift of becoming the mother that I had dreamt of being and seeing my husband be the father that he dreamt of being and just having these two precious, precious little boys in our lives that, like you said, it just, everything turned upside down for the Mm -hmm. better. Like it was just amazing. But I still feel like that. Yeah. Like the joy that they bring into our lives and the energy that they bring into our lives and the excitement and the fun. I'm like, oh, and the hard work too. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Let's not forget the hard work. Okay. The loss of sleep, (laughs) the disciplining. Okay. It's a real thing. Yeah. But no, Grayson didn't sleep at all last night. So the loss of sleep is like real right now in our life. Oh man. (laughs) And I swear I'm like, I am like a tortured prisoner when I don't get sleep. Oh, like 
you can get anything out of me. <laughs> I'm like, what do you want? Just give me sleep. You I will brownies? give you. I will make you brownies. Do you need my blood? Take it. <laughs> do you need my fingers? Take them. Just let me sleep. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm glad you said that. I'm the same way. Yeah. And of course I'm like, go get them. Do something with them. And my mm. husband's like, well, I'm tired too. But I'm like, no, no, no. I don't think you get it. No. Nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mama needs her sleep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> do you want to get your coffee in the morning? And like drink it in peace or yeah. Do you want world war three? It's your choice. Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty obvious to me. Yeah. (laughs) Now get out of bed and go get them. Yeah. Yeah, That's funny. So yeah. So, I mean, it just, you know, it, it's been easy to put that on the back burner for a while because we've just been enjoying the present. We've been enjoying raising the boys and experiencing all that parenthood has to offer Um, and just loving them. They're just so incredible. I mean, I am genuinely infatuated with them. Mm. <laughs> I cannot kiss their lips enough. I cannot touch them enough. I can't hug them enough. I can't like stroke their hair enough. I mean, it's just all of the things. Yeah. Um, and they do have great hair. They do. They've yeah. got great hair. Yes, they're they just, do. They're just way too cute. Way too they're cute. They're super cute. So, but it's, you know, we got to the point where we're, we're, we've been continuing to pay the storage for the embryos because they are cryopreserved and you pay for like a storage unit basically for your embryos each year. And after this last time, I just knew that I needed to try. Like I really thought we were going to get pregnant and I really thought it was going to be a girl. I'll just put all those things Mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. And we had picked out a really beautiful girl's name. um, And then when it didn't work, I grieved really hard in January. January was like a month of eating and drinking all the things and just not functioning very well and withdrawing. Um, (coughs) and that was okay that was exactly what I needed to do that was fine um but after that it uh, it kind of got to the point where through listening to a really great helpful podcast the next right thing um Emily P. Freeman she talked about getting to point a from point a to point b sometimes looks really sloppy but the point Mm -hmm. is you've got there and everything about trying for the third baby kind of felt sloppy it felt quick it felt rushed it felt fast um but I knew we needed to try and I needed to try and we did and that it didn't work was okay. Yeah. And we're okay. And enough, like we have enough. Um, and that was my word for the year that I picked after that. I was like, it's enough. Like yeah. we have enough. Our family is enough. My boys are enough. My husband is enough. Like, yeah. And just settled. Well, and you mentioned a couple times the, <coughs> Sorry. that's okay. You mentioned a couple times the plan that we have in our mind, right? The way we think the world is going to be or yeah. the way we think our life is going to be. Yeah. And so I think the enough is a really important word for all moms, whether yes. they're struggling with infertility or whether they're in any walk. I knew I was going to do that. Dang it. <laughs> I hit the mic. Um, whether they're, hands. yes, <laughs> whether they're struggling with infertility or anything, um, that they are enough in that journey Yeah. that, that they don't have to, I don't want to say like push themselves so much. It makes them sick, but to think about like the trying that that has on you, on your family, on your boys, on Brian, like yeah. that's a lot. And so for you to be like, you know what, <coughs> I'm going to set it all aside mm-hmm. and I'm going to like enjoy what I have in front of me. That's a really big step. And I'd love to share when I first met you, um, because it was really important when I first met you that I 
that I learned about infertility because you mentioned that you had struggled with it for nine years and that you wrote a book. Um, but what I continued to learn in that night that we were together was that you were super optimistic mm-hmm. and you know your path, like you know your end journey. Yeah. And it's bigger than, you know, what you have around you and it's bigger than you at times. And yeah. so, um, that was really inspiring for me to, to look at you and think, wow, you've been through something so hard. You fought so hard for a family Yeah, that for me, it's hot. It's, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable coming into it because I didn't have to fight that hard. Yeah. Like for me, it was a really easy journey to get there. My fight came else, you know, elsewhere, but to watch you go through that and talk about it with such, with such optimism was inspiring. And so even Good. as you continue <laughs> to talk today, the little things I didn't know, and even just your most recent journey, your, um, view and your, your vision on just life and motherhood is really, I hope for other moms out there too, especially moms that are going through this, it's just a really good, like, okay, I'm going to take my next step. Like I'm going to get to the next point. Um, because it it is, it truly is inspiring that you can go through that and continue to fight and continue to talk about it and to be vulnerable in your book. And, um, I follow you on Instagram, obviously, (laughs) and you talk about it a lot on there too. Like you have different stories that you put out when you talk about infertility. And I think that that helps normalize something that just doesn't seem very normal because in my experience, people who are going through that usually kind of do it behind a closed door. They do. They really do. And I understand why they do. Yeah. I get it. I really do get it. But like, as you had sent through like the interview questions or, you know, thoughts to think through of like, what is like the one thing of motherhood that I could pass on? Mm -hmm. It's probably a couple things. I'm like, it was hard to go down to just one. Yeah. Um, but along the way, one of the things that kept us so positive, um, well, we couldn't kill the hope. First of all, Mm. hope is really hard to kill. And I wanted to kill it so many times. I'm not going to lie. Um, I wanted to stop hoping for a family, but I just couldn't. And we knew that eventually for us, we hadn't closed the door to adoption and fostering. So we had that hope that someday we would be a family. Um, but that's a side note. Um, that focusing on what we had instead of the one thing we didn't have was really key. Mm. Really hard to do on yeah. a daily basis. Some days were easier, but there would be periods of time where I'd be like, I don't care that I can stay up till five in the morning reading a book because I don't have an infant that I have to take care of. Mm -hmm. But I can if I want to. I don't care that I can go out for a 20-mile run, you know, because I don't have, like, children waiting for me at the house. But I can. So I'm going to focus on what I can do and what I have right now, what I have available to me. And that did carry us through so much of the time because it kept us focusing. I think it just focused our mind on gratitude and being thankful for what we had instead of only looking at the one area that we didn't have our one area of lack, even though that was the biggest area and the biggest desire of our hearts, it really helped us, um, work on strengthening other muscles, I guess you could say. Yeah. And this too shall pass, um, for current situations for mamas who are like, Oh my gosh, this is so hard. This is so rough. Sleep deprivation. My baby isn't latching on. My baby is throwing up or I have got five sick kids in the house. This too shall pass. Yeah. It sounds so trite and so cliche, but it kind of is one of those things that like 
shakes you out of your, your stupor of whatever you're in and shakes you out of that like place that your head is locked yeah. and say, okay, this too shall pass. Like in one week from now, we're not going to be here. In two weeks from now, we're not going to be here. Even in eight hours, we're not going to be here. So it helps you move forward. Um, and honestly, for what infertility taught me was being thankful for even the hard stuff that I think it's harder for a person who didn't struggle to get pregnant to have that same gratitude for the hard stuff mm -hmm. because you almost didn't ask for it yeah, <laughs> and you didn't wait for it. Sure. But like, I mean, even as recent as like a couple months ago, I was like, Oh, laundry again. My word, these boys dirty so many clothes. And then I just had this little hesitation of you get to fold the clothes of the sons that you cried for, that you prayed for, that you yeah. asked God for, be excited to put their clothes back in the drawers because there were years that there were no clothes in the drawers. <laughs> so, and I'm not discrediting the difficulties of sure. motherhood and for people who don't struggle with infertility, but it works for everyone. Just remember there's yeah. somebody out there who is crying and begging for your reality and for your hardships. Yeah. And it helps, I think, to look at it from that perspective sometimes. Yeah. Well, do you know Brene Brown? I love her. Okay. Love her. Love her. Love her. <laughs> um, I just recently listened to her podcast. She was on Oprah's. Um, oh, The Soul Sunday. Yes. Gosh, yes. I'm so glad you knew that because I was going to oh, be yeah. like, Oprah's podcast. I haven't listened Isn't to it, it, but I saw that she, I follow Brene Brown on Instagram and I do follow Mama Stories. Oh, good. <laughs> Please do that. But um, she was saying that she was going to be on it. Yeah. And so she talks about gratitude and how it has yeah. to be something that you practice Yep, and that people who practice gratitude are usually like the most, um, I think she said successful. I'm not going to quote her because I don't want to be wrong, but something like that, right? Like where gratitude has to be something that you practice. I think it creates resiliency mm. too. Yeah. And for you to say that, like, I think that that's really important of like being thankful for those hard times. Yeah. And and I think we all know as moms that there are hard times that just hiccup and they just come up and they're there and they're right in your face and maybe it's something you expected or didn't expect. Uh, but I think having that, like that's a really good point, like just having that reminder of like, man, I'm really grateful that I get to, you know, tell a toddler 10 million times not to do that. Or I'm really yes. grateful yeah. that I have a high school student who I can't get off their phone and just wants to Snapchat all day. Like, yes. And I do think it's a constant reminder. It's like it the is. same thing you have to practice, right? It's that gratitude Daily. of what you have. Daily. Yeah. Even in the minute, I'm sure, yes. right? Could yeah. be like 17 times just yep. in one hour. For sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, well, Brie, thank you so much for being here with us today. It was I really my appreciate pleasure. it. Um, and in the podcast details, you can see um, more information about Brie's book. And then please uh, follow her on Instagram, especially if you want something... Um, to kind of help get you through that infertility journey. Or if you just want a voice, maybe you've gone through infertility and you know what Bree's talking about and you want just like that second voice. I, I do think that you put out a lot of really valuable um, things on there for moms. And I do have a blog too, that if somebody's interested in reading more, I actually started it when we started our like second full round of treatment to help share with our family and friends who were back in the States and in Northern Ireland to bridge the two so that they could follow the journey more closely. So um, I did do a pretty good job of chronicling the whole process and with pictures and um, just sharing the experiences as they were happening. 
because it's a little bit far removed now that really raw mm-hmm. period of time and I'm glad it is like it should be yeah. it was a huge part of our journey and it always will be a part and as we adopt these embryos out too the journey doesn't end it just continues yeah. but um, for anyone who is struggling and they just need to read something or find somebody who maybe gets it and in the book too there's like eight or nine other stories of people who I asked to share their own brief stories. So they might not identify with mine, but they might read those stories and oh, find themselves in those stories too. So Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bria. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can get the latest episodes and tell us what you think about it in the reviews. And mamas, I love you.